Connection through conversation. Join self-described conversationalist Stacy Heller as she talks with guests about topics and ideas that are sometimes informational, sometimes inspirational, and always entertaining on Stacy Connects. Hello, welcome to Stacy Connects, a show about making connections through conversation. By asking questions instead of making assumptions, we just might learn something. Thanks to everyone that listens to the show and the podcast. I am genuinely tickled when people tell me that they listen to the show or that they've listened to an episode. Uh, uh, a colleague of mine, Pete Connolly, he's actually been on the show. He's a massage therapist. Uh, he texted me last week after Dan Faulkner, who was my guest, was on the show. And he was like, I loved that show. It was so interesting. He knows Dan and he commented on how interesting it was to hear Dan's story and just to have an open dialogue about it. So I love that. I really genuinely, clearly love connecting with people. So uh, reminder, if you enjoy the show, then please share it with other people. And you can also connect with me and tell me how much you love me. I'm very high maintenance. (laughs) So uh, you can text or call 475-999-2726. It's again, 475-999-2726. I mean, one of my love languages is words of affirmation. So, you know, just send me some love. I I do get uh, texts from Rosalinda and um, I love that. She's awesome. So keep sending texts. Anyway, if you want to call into the show live, you can also do that. That number is 425-373-5527. My guest today is Marjorie Scherge, otherwise known as Schurz. Uh Marjorie, can you say your name properly? Yeah. So Majori Schurz. It's so, Dutch. So, so there you go. So yeah. do people... So. I need to call you Maori. I can at least do that much for you. Yeah, if that's easy for you, awesome. Maori. If not, yeah. Great. I could Perfect. I can get a 50% on this test. I think in this test it would be a hundred because the last section we can just ignore. It's just it's just too hard if you don't start with it in childhood. <laughs> yeah. Well, and honestly, if uh any test where it could be potentially an essay response I always Uh do very well because I think that the teacher is like oh for god's sakes whatever just stop writing um (laughs) and so I I will take your 100% anyway um so Mayori and I are going to be talking about it's going to be quite a different take from last week's show with Dan we're going to be talking about the work that she does uh with ADHD coaching with uh, microdosing coaching, and mm-hmm. she also is a psychedelic journey guide. And so uh, it's actually such a wonderful conversation to have on the heels of what we talked about last week, because I think it just shows what's going on in the world and mm-hmm. how things have changed. So I am looking forward to that. Uh, meanwhile, as we all have gotten used to, I... Love to share what has gone on from the past week. And so let me tell you about that. Um, 
I am part of a BNI networking group. I think I have shared that with listeners before. It's uh, Business Networking International. And you have an opportunity to do what's called an eight minute every so often, where instead of having a whopping 30 seconds to give a presentation about what your business is and who you want to connect with, you have eight minutes, uh, you know, a long elevator pitch. And I gave my first in-person eight minutes. We have been meeting virtually for about two and a half years now. And I got to give my eight minute live. And the timing was perfect because my business has shifted. I used to focus primarily on branding and marketing and that kind of thing. And I finally decided it's time to embrace what I am, which is a intuitive business consultant. There, I said it. I feel like I'm part of like the like LGBTQ plus I for intuitive community. Uh, right? I mean, I'm it's, cheering you on. Thank you. I mean, it's a big deal to like to go ahead and embrace if you have these kind of gifts. You know, you mm-hmm. can during my presentation, I, you know, I asked the question, how many people make decisions that are gut level decisions as a business owner, solopreneur? Uh, entrepreneur and you know everyone's like oh yeah totally and yet if you ask the same question and replace gut level with intuitive or based Mm -hmm. on your intuition everybody suddenly gets a little squeamish and by the way Mm -hmm. folks it's the same thing Um, and so (laughs) it was a big deal I kind of felt like I needed that song like I'm coming out and right I want the world to know So that felt really good. And one of my favorite things from the presentation I had, clearly I talk fast. And so at the end, I ended up having over a minute left to answer questions. And one of the questions that was asked is, who do you really like to work with? And my response was skeptics. I love working with skeptics. Um, That is really fun to me. And uh, it's, I... I end up getting into conversations with people who are questioning what I do or the validity of what it brings to your business as a real skill and, you know, and these kinds of things. And then I'll say something and they're like, oh, oh, how'd you know that? That's weird. Like, who told you that? Uh, mm-hmm. Or, you know, something that I'm able to into it. So uh, so that was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that was interesting this week was I had a question or a conversation with my daughter, Annie, about motherhood. And she was sharing that, you know, she as she meets people um, for, you know, potentially romantic interests. Uh, she's getting to a point where the conversation of are you interested in children comes up? And she was saying that her response is, you know, actively, no, I I really don't think that I want children. And that for many men that she's meeting, that's a deal breaker. And Mm. it's so interesting to hear that as a parent, because my first thing is like, what did I do to you? (laughs) Because naturally I make it about me. Uh, And yet then I immediately am like, that's awesome. Like, good for you for knowing what you want. And, you know, I did ask the question, do you think if you found the right person that that may change. And she said, maybe, but she said, I don't want to lead somebody on and tell them that I definitely want kids 
And then we end up having a great relationship. And then this topic comes up and I'm like, oh, no, by the way, I don't want them. And it ends the relationship that far down the line. Or I have kids and I end up resenting my spouse or Mm -hmm. my children. Uh, You know, she's like, children should be a deal breaker. It's a big deal to bring people into the world. So it was a really good conversation. I continue to learn and evolve uh, having these conversations and remembering that it's not about me, that it is about every individual on the path or journey that they're going to take and that I continue to learn again through conversation. Um, Mm. And, you know, I, I think about my own experience with motherhood. And I remember doing pre-Cana. My husband and I are both cradle Catholics. And so you have to do pre-Cana where basically the priest is like, so you're going to get married and stay married, right? And you're going to go forth and multiply, right? And we're like, yep, 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 yep. Check, check, check. And I remember just saying like, yeah, of course. And I wasn't somebody that was like, oh, I cannot wait to have kids. I was really young and I didn't have a career per se. And it made sense. I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll have children before career and I'll get that out of the way. By the way, listeners who don't have children and are considering them, you don't ever actually get children out of the way. It doesn't really end. And so there is no such thing as like getting that out of the way. So, oops. However, um, you know, no oops about having the kids, but oops about thinking that like, oh, I'll do that. And uh, so I love having these conversations about different journeys. So that was that Mm. was a enlightening conversation this week. Um, Mm. Another conversation that I had this week is about BLTs. So. I had lunch with my friend Stacy Harris. She was actually a uh, fun fact. She was the first guest that I ever had on Stacy Connects. And she and her husband, Dave Nelson, are the ones that introduced me to my voice. <laughs> so you have them to thank or yell at. And we had lunch together and I had a BLT and it was delicious. Shout out to Hoffman's Bakery in Redmond, Washington. Uh, It was on a nice roll. I was a skeptic because it wasn't toasted, uh, but it was warm. And I got the sandwich and I ended up opening up and taking off these big, beautiful slices of tomato. And Stacy's like, what are you doing? It's a BLT. I was like, "Okay, let's discuss the ratio of the B, the L and the T. When you have a giant, gorgeous beefsteak tomato that's basically like having a hamburger patty, you really don't need three pieces of it on a small, what's essentially a small baguette. That is a lot of tomato. So I took off half the tomato, and that is a better ratio with the lettuce and the bacon. You need like the the crunchy. You need the crisp bacon and the cold, crisp lettuce, and then the tomato to bite into. And if that ratio is off, it just ruins my day. And there's a whole thing with it. And I'm curious if other people feel like the ratio in a BLT as is as important as I think it is. I don't know. I don't eat bread, but I am so there with you. <laughs> right? Like, kind yes. of, like, it's all about ratios. 
I, there's a balance. What about you, Eric? Yeah. Are you a BLT guy? Oh, yeah. Love a good BLT. Right? And do you agree with me on, like, ratio? Yeah, I think the ratio is definitely important. Right? And, like, and the tomato, like, I feel like it's sacrilege because, you know, this tomato is beautiful. And, and you know, like I said, it's like a- And you got to have plenty of mayo, too. Right. Some places skimp on the mayo. And, and you I have to also add a dash wrong of salt. Trust me. Just trust me. <laughs> trust me. Uh, but, yeah, the tomato, when it's too much, it's just, it's too much. So mm-hmm. anyway, this was this was one of the conversations that I had this week. And, you know, I'm just looking again for people to say, you're not crazy. <laughs> it's your that. sandwich. You're not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most important thing. It's your sandwich. It is you... my sandwich. I just feel like I need everybody on my side. There's not a side. And yet I'm like, OK. And I we ended up having Stacy and I like this 20 minute conversation about this, which Let's face it, I can clearly talk anybody's ear off about any topic and, you know, basically, like, beat it to death. Um, But I had all of the pros and cons and what would happen if you had too much bacon versus, like, too much bacon, you get heartburn. Too much lettuce. How about, I just like a little less tomato. How about that? (laughs) Okay. Always simplifying. (laughs) Always simplifying. I was just thinking about like how you got all this extra tomato. I'm like, damn, that's good. Like you just put it off to the side and then you can enjoy the tomato on its own. Cause if it's a good tomato, yeah, this is true. You can just like, yeah, you right? got like a little extra tomato that you got to enjoy on the side. Clearly you are a healthier eater than I am. Cause I'd be like, <laughs> I need some like mozzarella and I need like, you know, a little like balsamic with it. Well, the the quality range of tomatoes can vary greatly. So oh, yeah. if it's a really good tomato or if it's a garden tomato, you could have mm-hmm. that by itself. But sometimes the tomatoes are kind of flavorless and mushy. So, you know, yep. it, taking them off makes sense. But, right. you know, it all depends. It all depends. There are a lot of factors that go into a good BLT. That's true. I'm just saying. Yeah, um, quality and ratios is what I'm hearing here. It's like good synopsis. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's it. Okay. Now here's the other conversation. This one happened today. So our son Will is up from California. He's visiting. My mom arrives tonight. Uh for everyone that is local, you will feel a shift in the universe when my mother arrives around ten o'clock tonight at the airport. <laughs> and if you feel like a tremble, then that's because Joan has landed. And so Will decided to come up so that he could see my mom. And our daughter Annie was over and they made lunch together. And I was chatting with somebody outside and I came inside to a conversation about if you had Usain Bolt and Joey Chestnut Mm. and you gave them the challenge of eating a hot dog, you know, really quick. And then they had to run 100 meters. Who would win? Now, Hmm. (laughs) Usain Bolt is like, you know, one of the fastest, one of the fastest men alive, right? Um, Aside from McLovin. And then you've got Joey Chestnut, who has made a living from eating hot dogs. Yeah, he competes in the Nathan's Nathan's hot dog eating championship. Right. I mean, the man eats like 70 hot dogs in like 10 minutes or something crazy or less. Whoa. Right. 
So I thought this was a fascinating thing. Like, again, Mm. clearly my children, because there was all of the like, well, on the one hand, like, can you teach a person to run that fast? Can you teach or can you teach a person to eat a hot dog that fast? And like Joey Chestnut is not a, a big man. He I mean, he's a competitive eater, so. He doesn't eat like I do just for enjoyment and then sit around. And so it was a big debate. And I I went with Usain Bolt because I feel like even if he ate the hot dog in five seconds, he can do anything really fast and then he could make up time in the run. So it's all included, right? It's Who's the fastest like, doing? It's like it's you like know, a relay of sorts. A relay. Right? Yeah. 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 From okay. first bite to like cross. The yes. Right. Line. Right. Exactly. So yes, it's all about. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say, I I think Joey Chestnut has this one That's... just because I think Usain Bolt is gonna give up halfway through eating a hundred hot dogs. No, you only have sick. to eat one. Oh, you only have to eat one. You okay. have to eat one then hot dog. It's Usain Bolt right? all the way. Thank you. He can eat a hot dog, and he's a rocket. Whereas Joey Chestnut is not. I misheard and thought it was like a no, hundred hot dogs. It's, okay. it's one if hot it's dog, one, hundred meters. Forget about like, it. It's Usain Bolt all the way. Right? Yes. Yeah, it makes me wonder. I wonder because I I'm imagining eating this hot dog, and if it's a little dry and you're having a hard time getting it down, you dip it in water. Apparently. Oh. You. Oh well, then you could just like right. slurp it in. Apparently, the the mo is you eat the hot dog really fast, and then you dip the bun in water, and then you just it just disintegrates. Oh yeah. So if he knows, if if Usain knows that technique, I bet he's gonna win. If well, he doesn't, then I it depends on how <laughs> and it depends on the training. This is what I totally said. Does. I said if the two of them showed up at this event, right, and they didn't yeah. know what they were doing, and they're like, Who are you? And the other one's like, Well, I'm sure Joey Chestnut knows who Usain Bolt is. But it's like if they anybody sh- can eat a hot dog and run. <laughs> if it's one hot dog, anybody could eat that hot dog quickly and run fast. It only becomes a, a challenge if we're talking like twenty five hot dogs or more. In that case, then Joey maybe. Chestnut has maybe a, an edge. Un- unless Usain Bolt has like one of those little throats that can't eat very fast. You I know? mean, he is like- very skinny. <laughs> Like, I, he gets, like, a gas bubble halfway through running, and I don't know. So, you know, I hope Will is listening to the show. I'm sure he's not. But uh, this is what we talked about in part over lunch today, and this is the world I function in. I, I just can't wait for this sport to come to the Olympics, I, by the way. Totally. Like one of those ones where, like, you ski and shoot something. It, right? it makes no sense. So you might as well have the, the 100 miles. Meter dash and I, you know, a hot dog eating competition. The hot dog dash, right? Yeah, the hot dog dash. It's the dog dash. I, I mean, it's brilliant. I, I don't envy the guy that has to clean up (laughs) afterwards, but you know, it'll be interesting to see. But I do feel like this is a good premise for a show where you have like Mm. two elements of like the two competitors, and so they each have an advantage on one part, Mm -hmm. and so. And they're both so elite at the one part that, like, which is the one that takes precedence? Yeah, totally. Like, right? is that is it? Yeah, well, because you know, if it's like a hundred meters, you know, if you if the difference is like five seconds, right? No, that could really that that could really be a close tie. It you could know? be. 
I, yeah. yeah, it's it's. I could talk about this forever. However, I have more important things to talk about. So let's take a really quick break, and then when we come <laughs> back, we will be talking with Maori. I said that right, right? Yes. Awesome. 100%. Okay. Keep listening to Stacy Connects. We'll be right back. Looking to reconnect with your partner, spouse, kids, or self? When the disconnect seemingly has been there for a lifetime and is impacting your relationships, it's difficult to determine how and where to start. But at the root with Greg Kuiper of Kuiper Counseling is the perfect first step. Throughout each episode, Greg talks about establishing emotional connection with ourselves and others. He offers experience, advice, explanation, and resources to listeners. You can find past episodes on his website, KuiperCounseling.com, or through his YouTube channel, Connection Through Awareness with Greg Kuiper. Stacy Connects, it's not just my business, it's my superpower. Whether you need the right tone and messaging for a new venture, or you've plateaued with your current one, I can help. I connect clients with themselves and their potential. Then I identify unique solutions that translate your brand into messaging that connects your target audience with your business. Go to stacyconnects.com to connect with me and your messaging. Alternative Talk 1150, local talk for the body, mind, and soul. Welcome back to Stacy Connects. We spent a lot of the front part of the show talking about this this question. Uh, so I want to make sure that we have time to talk to Mayori. So, mm. hello. Hi. So I, stoked to be here. I am so excited to have you here. You and I met. We had a one-to-one conversation. And mm-hmm. it started with the ADHD thing, which mm-hmm. I was able to stay focused long enough to stay on topic about that. But then not really. Because then you shared with me the other work that you do. So mm-hmm. my question for you is, how did these three things, I can see how two of them are related, the microdosing mm-hmm. coaching and the psychedelic journey guide. Like mm-hmm. that, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the ADHD and where that falls into play. Yeah. So that really has been, um, my own journey of discovering my ADHD. Well, first of all, in my early years, in my early twenties, late teens, early twenties, mid twenties, um, experimenting a lot with different psychedelics from a real, um, it's, it's never been sort of a party drug thing for me. It's always been a medicine. It's always been something that I've used in order to, to, um, gain some personal growth as Mm -hmm. a, as a medicine and a tool. And, you know, when I had kids, all of that sort of dropped away. And, and last year I learned about my own ADHD a couple of years before. And all of a sudden I started realizing like, oh my gosh, my whole life I have, I have been gravitating towards these different things like the yoga and the mindfulness and the embodiment and um, the art and, and the psychedelics to really help me manage my ADHD symptoms, um, which wasn't until three years ago that I sort of, that that all sort of fell into place. Mm -hmm. That aha moment. The aha moment of like, oh, I'm not, 
I'm not messed up. I'm not a broken person. I'm just wired a little differently. And mm -hmm. um, anyways, so um, then as I had been, let's see, when was this? This was a little over a year ago. We, my husband is a musician and he um, reunited with a um, previous music partner of his last year and they did a reunion show and it was epic. And we got into this conversation and his friend was microdosing and he was telling us about it. And I was like, I'm feeling the call. It's time to get back into this. And it was a really powerful show that for both me and my husband, it felt like the medicine came in and just said, now is your time to do this work. Mm -hmm. And we both started um, kind of diving back in and he's much more of a, a large dose journeyer. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm extremely sensitive to anything, whether it's food or energy or exercise or, you know, psychedelics, I'm super duper sensitive. And so I heard about this microdosing thing and I thought, that sounds like just the right thing for me. And then as I started learning about it and experimenting with it and integrating it into my coaching, I realized that it actually was really helping me with all of my, with a lot of my ADHD challenges. Interesting. Because part of what psilocybin in particular does is it activates the brain. It starts to, it, it activates all the attention networks that right. we have and it reduces the default mode network, which is the part of the brain that is involved in ruminating and in comparing, like assessing self and other and sort of doing that sort of, you know, oh, they're doing this. What am I doing? How am I behaving? Like that comparison thing. It really is involved in deciding what comes to conscious awareness and what doesn't. So the things that we're really consciously aware of that we're doing and feeling, um, and this sort of running ahead into the future or running back into the past. So a lot of that um, rumination thought. And for a lot of people with, um, with ADHD, emotional regulation is, is often uh, a challenge. Mm -hmm. it, it tends to, we have, we have this emotional swing inside that swings very easily from one side to the other and all around. Whereas for, you know, other people, it might take a little bit more wind to blow that swing over to the left or over to the right. Like, right. Yeah. Well, and, and with ADHD people, uh, depression and anxiety are very often hand in glove with, uh, oh, gosh, ADHD. Yeah. So yeah. Yep. You know. Yeah. Sensitive systems get easily overwhelmed. We have a nervous system that tends to very easily get aroused. It's part of what makes us like superpower hunters, because if we're out in a more hunter gatherer type of situation and you have this incredible brain, which many of us have that picks up more stimulation than other people, we notice more things. You are also more likely to notice that little antelope that is just crossing the horizon over there. Mm -hmm. And when you put that into our you know, our society and the type of world that we live in now, it means that many of us are in a fairly consistent sort of level of information overload. It's a lot of stimulation we're processing all the time. And we're not doing typically as much physical activity or as much outdoor activity, which is really settling to the nervous system and helps us process all of that. Mm -hmm. And so for so many of us with 
more, you know, neurodiversely wired brains and whether that's ADHD or autism or some giftedness or dyslexia, it doesn't really matter or just highly sensitive. You know, there's a lot of people who just identify as, as highly sensitive, not necessarily diagnosable ADHD. It's a very similar thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So what I started noticing was first of all, in myself, the, the, the positive effects, how it increased my focus. It increased my mood. Like it, it uplifted my mood. It actually completely removed my anxiety. It removed my depression. Um, it allowed my executive functions to come online way stronger. I paired, I go ahead. What no, I just like, that's such a thing for me. Like, you know, I'm yes. like, you know, the best part for somebody with ADHD, the best part about making a list is making another one in a different book. Yes. <laughs> but in a pretty marker. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> like, totally. This time I'm going to color code it. And then I'm going to ignore everything that it has on it. Yeah. We're so good at like just getting excited about the, the project and then not actually using the tool. Right. Right. Of course. Yeah. But yeah, so I started just noticing how it was affecting me and I was really consciously using it to particularly manage my anxiety because it was pretty high last year and, and I didn't have a lot of time, like Yes, sure, I could do all of that managing of that anxiety to some degree with two or three hours of yoga a day, but I'm a you know self-employed business owner right. with who's building her business and who's got kids and a husband and a life. There just wasn't time enough to do all of that. Right. And so I started learning more and more about it. And and then I started, you know, sort of mentioning it to my clients and then supporting them in uh, figuring out how to safely do it and effectively because microdosing it's an interesting thing it's it's on the scale of like high risk sort of choices in terms of substances that you can put into your body mm -hmm. i think i think coffee affects most people more intensely than a microdose you know interesting well and um I want to ask, I'm going to sideline you for just a minute. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of misunderstandings about psychedelics and everybody, mm -hmm. you know, thinks of like, you know, the Beatles and, you know, um, um, Groove is in the Heart, that video. Mm -hmm. Groove is in the Heart. And, oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, and thinks of like Timothy Leary and... Mm -hmm. Like yeah. thinks about all of those things with psychedelics and, yeah. um, you know, and it's like, oh, higher consciousness. Uh-huh. Um, mm -hmm. So speak to that for a second. Yeah. So what is interesting is that initially when psychedelics came onto the scene in the 50s and 60s, it was predominantly used in a therapeutic setting. There were tons of therapists who were working with LSD and psilocybin and um, MDMA, um, which is not a classic psychedelic, but it is currently looped into that same sort of you know group. Um, they were is doing the a lot of street name for MDMA. Is that the the date rape drug? The date rape drug. I don't believe so. It's it's either Molly or ecstasy. Okay. Got it. Those I, don't, are... I don't know my drugs. <laughs> oh, 
it does not make you lose consciousness and it does not like incapacitate you got it, it okay. actually like turns up the serotonin levels and like so it heightened. just makes you super lovey like got it okay <laughs> it's it's infused in relationship therapy and so it's really uh, it's something that can really um support people in in repairing or making deep connections and doing a lot of sort of attachment work okay yeah all right good to know so yeah i just started noticing it in oh sorry i digress um so in the 50s and 60s, they were doing tons of very interesting work with it, like um, addiction work with folks with alcoholism, and they would have them do, I think, one or two large dose journeys with psilocybin or LSD, and a very significant amount of those people never went back to drinking for the rest of their life. Um, because it shifted something inside of them, it allowed them to see this picture and part of like why they were drinking and so once they understood where that came from it it helped them move away from that behavior on top of that on a neurobiological level psilocybin uh, in particular um, helps with neurogenesis and neuroplasticity and so it helps to bring in new connections new neural connections and and let go of old ones um and then timothy leary got you know is sort of pinpointed as like the the godfather the, the godfather or within the psychedelic therapeutic community there's a lot of people who kind of look at him and go you kind of messed it up for everybody right because you you started sort of giving it out anyways whatever perspective you have on that the reality is that that whatever he was doing was turning on so many people and was bringing it into the mainstream and then it became a party drug and then you know, we all know it got scheduled as a, as a class one narcotic or schedule one right, narcotic. Right. Um, and a lot of prejudice was developed around psychedelics. Um, there was a lot of misinformation out there about it. It, you know, it's, um, I was just listening to a book and it was really going into all of that history and, um, no, it does not fry your brain. No, it does not make you jump off of buildings. No, it's actually non-addictive. It is, uh, you cannot actually overdose on it. It doesn't mean that you can't have negative effects or you can't have like a really difficult experience, but sure. as far as like, you know, all the drugs that are out there, including alcohol, uh, psychedelics are actually very, very low on the, uh, on the, uh, on the danger scale or the harm scale. Now, a um, couple things that make me think about that. One, if you've never used any psychedelics, mm -hmm. this is where I imagine the microdosing coaching comes in and the mm -hmm. psychedelic journey guide comes in because I imagine yeah. it's not something that you should do on your own without somebody there. Yeah, I think, I, I think it, it depends. You know, we got to keep in mind that the vast majority of psychedelic consumption in the last 40 years has been done by people on their own. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I think, so there are risks um, that can come with that because if you have a history of psychosis mm -hmm. or if you have schizophrenia in your family, or if you take tramadol, or if you um, are on lithium medication, or 
if you uh, are one of those unlucky young males that are falling, you know, there's this, this small category of young males between, I think it's 18 and 20, where it just, you know, it can throw them into a, a possible psychosis. That is a possibility. That mm -hmm. is one of the risks that is out there. And that's absolutely something people need to be really aware of. Got it. Um, well, that's like all and, the ads on TV, you know, like if you take this, this drug, there's a possibility you're going to lose your arm, like your eye is going to fall out right. and you're going to go into a coma. But the percentages are very low and I can't like give any medical advice. I'm not a, you know, a, a doctor. Um, however, I think if you have not ever taken psychedelics and you want to have a well-held experience that isn't going to, um, you know, result in what we call a, people call it a bad trip. Well, a bad trip is often uh, a psychedelic experience that surfaces something that is necessary to see, but really hard to be with, mm -hmm. and then throws people into a place where they don't feel safe and, and they start freaking out that's often sort of the culmination of a, of a bad trip is that someone was just wasn't well supported. Yeah. I believe, um, if you really want to get as much as you can out of the experience that you're going to have, what we're seeing more and more is that when you get supported by a coach, whether that's for a large dose or a microdosing, the more you are supported professionally with someone who can help you sort of unpack the things that are surfacing during sure. your journey and set you up with, well, you know, here's, here's how we can um, make sure that you're well-prepared. You know what to expect. We do some pre-training. We make sure that you work with an intention. Um, I'm here. We, we make sure that the few days before you avoid these kinds of things, we, um, I'm here to support you when you are feel if you, you know, during your journey and if you're feeling scared, do you want some music? Do you want this? Do you want to be outside? It's just going to increase your chances of a really deeply powerful, meaningful experience. Right. Which then comes around to my next thing that I was going to ask about. Last week when Dan was on the show, I was asking him about the correlation between addiction and mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And you know, obviously not, not all addiction. I mean, there's obviously you're genetically mm -hmm. predisposed and things like that. Uh, however, a lot of people that seem to have addictive behaviors, it's a coping mechanism from mm -hmm. some kind of trauma that has mm -hmm. occurred. And, uh, or there's somebody that has ADHD, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, or some other, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, neuro atypical thing that they're mm -hmm. dealing with and the drugs they're sort of self-diagnosing with drugs and mm -hmm. but mental health seems to be a thing so it sounds like with psychedelics mm -hmm. it's like sure there can be the the recreational or even the functional mm -hmm. side of it with as you said mm -hmm. with your ADHD you notice your increase in focus and executive function and your reduction of anxiety and those kinds of things mm -hmm. and then you know, you got to acknowledge there's the recreational piece, but yeah. it sounds like it also gives you the presence and the space mm -hmm. to go really deep to get to that trauma and unpack it. 
Yes, it it is a well, here's the, the caveat again, particularly with trauma, I would say if you have significant trauma in your history, mm -hmm. you want to be with a therapist or a, a well trained coach, if okay. you're going to use psychedelics, because it tends to draw up whatever is kind of hanging out in our subconscious or unconscious and it draws it up to the surface i always say you get what you want not necessarily what you or you get what you need not necessarily what you want so it's so rolling stones of you <laughs> you can't always get what you want but you might find you get right. what you need yeah totally i mean and i believe you that. know and i think this is more the case with large dose journeys than it is with um, it's more, it's more amplified with large doses. Cause it's, you know, when you take a large dose, you're going on a ride and you just don't know what's going to happen. It's always, it's always a mystery. And the, the, the real journey is to open to the mystery and being open to whatever it is that is, is the time for you to look at right now and work on. Um, with microdosing, the reason I love microdosing so much and why I'm using it so much in my practice is that it does not throw you into this like bungee jump of like, well, we'll just see what happens. <laughs> it's actually a real, it's a very measured small amount that you use over, you know, a four, six, eight, 10 week sort of period, multiple times a week. And you very consciously work with you know, an intention that you set and awarenesses and recording what you're noticing. And so it's all, it's kind of like stretching out this longer journey mm -hmm. and doing it all super consciously and noticing what all the changes and shifts are on all the levels of your being, not just physiologically, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually, because it affects all of that. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, we have to take a, well, we don't have to do anything, but we're going to take a quick break here. And, uh, when we come back, I, I have a comment and then I have, of course, more questions. So keep listening to Stacey Connects. Again, my guest today is Mayori, and we are talking about microdosing. Keep listening. Stacey Heller is many things, entertaining yet enlightening. She's a talk show host channeling her inner Fallon. Like Winston Wolf, she's a fixer who gets things done with style. Practical, like Dr. Ruth. Stacy isn't afraid of the uncomfortable when searching for answers. She's your biggest fan and sees your potential before you do. Most of all, Stacy Heller is a synapse who can connect impulses and ideas about your business and yourself into possibility. To connect with Stacy, go to stacyconnects.com. Stacy Connects. It's her superpower. Too many relationships are adversely affected by wounds from our past. Lack of connection, unhappiness, shame, and regret are just some of the fallouts we experience when we choose to avoid addressing those wounds. Greg Kuiper of Kuiper Counseling is a psychotherapist committed to reestablishing connection with self to create greater connection with others. His work with teens, individuals, couples, and those struggling with substance use. If you struggle with old wounds or unhealthy narratives, get to the root of them in yourself by contacting Greg Kuiper at KuiperCounseling.com. That's KuiperCounseling.com. 
There's a reason they invented the internet. It's called 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Stacey Connects. So during the break, I was confessing to Maori that I have this vision that if I ever uh, did any kind of psychedelics and, uh, you know, I'm sort of like, mm, I'm curious about the microdosing because of my ADHD and all of that. Mm-hmm. But I've, I have this notion that I would be in a, a physical and verbal, metaphorical, of course, straitjacket. Mm-hmm. unable to really like speak and kind of just like sitting there and I joked that I would be like you know the song Tommy the who like this deaf dumb blind kid that plays a mean pinball <laughs> and and then I even brought up that there is a specific Sesame Street animation and if you are a child of the like 70s then you remember and it went one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve and it was so like trippy it may have been done by peter max actually i don't know mm-hmm. but um so that's what i envision mm-hmm. it would be like mm-hmm. so <laughs> response <laughs> yeah well first of all like i was saying you know especially with big dose journeys you are releasing control And for most of us, letting go of control can be one of the scariest things to do. So knowing that that sort of nervousness or apprehension or worry is really normal for one, just let's normalize that. Two is with microdosing in particular, you are taking such tiny amounts, something in the realm of 0.05 of a gram or 0.1 of a gram that it is almost or com- almost completely subperceptual. There is no, there's no visual changes that happen. There's no visions that you're going to be seeing. The flowers are not going to be turning and looking at you. <laughs> they may just look slightly brighter or things might just look, you know, you might just feel a little bit more relaxed or uh, a little bit less edited. That's one of the things that has been showing up a lot. Like I just finished a group, uh, a group um, microdosing course where I led eight people through uh, an eight week course. Mm -hmm. And what's really cool is that many of those folks were having, actually, they all came in with different intentions. They came in with different things that they were working on or challenges that they had. And then yet they had a lot of shared experience of what they were experiencing in terms of the benefits that they were experiencing and, and being less edited, being less Mm self-conscious was one big one that showed up. Can you imagine me any less edited? (laughs) I think it'd be great. Well, I'd be my mother. Basically I would be my mother. Well, here's, here's another one though. I think for a lot of people with ADHD, we tend to run a little bit on like we, we run pretty high on sort of the nervous system activation level, Mm -hmm. which makes us more impulsive. Typically it makes us less edited. We, we tend to not have as many, um, filters anyhow. Right. What I'm noticing with folks with ADHD is that it actually helps calm the nervous system and it helps kind of calm the whole system down. So even though it may make you less edited in some ways, it also seems to bring a lot more groundedness and calm and presence, um, for people. That's nice. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so 
the the microdosing coaching that you do is this mm-hmm. through group sessions alone or do you also do one to one coaching? Both, yeah. Okay. I do one to one coaching um, with microdosing. Some people really want that individualized process, or they have some really deep stuff that they're working through that they're not wanting to do in a group. Um, or that's just a better format for them. You know, many of us, many people have like social anxiety um, or get kind of, you know, kind of nervous in a group and it's not necessarily the best place for them to learn. So that's where the one-on-one really comes in. Right. Um, And is it something, so it sounds like it's something with the coursework and and even mm -hmm. with the one-to-one, you're doing this with you know, parameters and you're teaching people like, okay, mm-hmm. here's best practices of how to do this. Mm-hmm. And they're yep. doing it at home. And then you're guiding them through this with exactly meetings and interaction and groups and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Unpacking. There's a big teaching component, whether you do one-on-one or a group um, setting, it's, you know, there's a lot of basic education involved. What does it look like when your dose is a little too high? What are the symptoms that you want to look out for? What does that really feel like and look like in your body? Because it's different for everyone, but there are definitely a lot of shared experiences. What do you do when you take some a little bit too much? And what does that look like and feel like and, and how to be with that? And if you take other medications what do you need to be aware of and oh, yeah. how do you build this relationship with this medicine particularly with psilocybin i really come from a from a sort of a more indigenous or traditionally informed perspective as the medicine having a spirit mm-hmm. and it's a relationship that you build with the spirit over time and um Socio Ashe is one of my teachers through the Microdosing Institute in the Netherlands. Um, that's where I'm doing some training and that's mm-hmm. where I've been getting trained. And um, they're really, they're, they're very much a combination of this, you know, uh, science informed, like what are the actual, what's the hard data that we have on this and how can we collect more data? Because many people have been doing it, but there hasn't been a lot of study yet that, that is, um, that has given us this sort of more traditional hardcore data. And then, and then how can we bring in the indigenous perspective or the indigenous wisdom that is out there of the peoples who have been doing this for, you know, many thousands of years, if not just as a species, I believe it's something that we've evolved with, co-evolved with. Um, Well, and this is something that is, uh, you know, with, with certain you know, there are some things that are created in the lab, but, you know, with mm-hmm. mushrooms and things like that, like this is earthbound, you know, mm-hmm. traditional spiritual medicine like mm-hmm. that Native Americans use. And as you said, indigenous people use like mm-hmm. this is all over the world. Right. Like, exactly. Worldwide. Exactly. And animals too. different species have different ways of kind of getting into di- altered states of consciousness. And, you know, so. That I know that when uh, my cats have an upset stomach, they eat grass and it helps them vomit. Mm-hmm. So there you go. But they love catnip too, right? <laughs> yes, but there's certain grasses that they yeah. they get, and then it's yeah. almost like uh, they're pulling trig. They've got like this long piece of grass, and they end up throwing up all over my carpet. It's awesome. It's just delightful. Don't you love it? It's so delightful. <laughs> um, okay, with the few minutes that we have left, so there's yeah. 
there's that piece. And then mm-hmm. there is the psychedelic journey guide. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm guessing that this mm-hmm. is sort of a larger dose mm-hmm. guide, uh, kind of a one off journey that you're doing. Correct. And uh you know, maybe you're, as you say, you have a specific intention that you're trying to work through. Uh, and I imagine that when that happens, it really uncovers stuff for people. It does. Yeah. And so much of what, so much of the gold or the, like the nuggets that we get out of those journeys comes through the actual integration afterwards of the unpacking of what happened. So the conversations that happen where you you know, start unpacking all of the wildly, wickedly, crazily, seemingly unrelated. And yet, you know, often they are very much related or abstract or, you know, um, so yeah, that's, and I would say this is part of where I would make the distinction between recreational use and personal growth or medicinal use Mm -hmm. is how, what's the container that you're doing it in? Do you do it with prep being held in the space by someone and then unpacking it. Cause I usually do at least two integration sessions with people like a couple of weeks after, and then a month or two months after, because there's just, it keeps unfolding. And for a lot of people, it takes, sometimes it takes a couple of weeks to unfold. And sometimes it takes a year or two years for that whole journey to fully be integrated and seen for what it really was and what it was teaching you. And some people do one journey in their lifetime and others do it every month. You know, it's a, it's a really personal thing. It struck me when you were talking about how, you know, the flowers might seem a little bit brighter and there's a, there's something about the idea that you're present enough. And I feel like so many things in our lives are dull because we Mm -hmm. are zipping by them. And so yeah. when you're zipping past something, it, yeah. it dulls everything, uh, the yeah. colors, the sounds, you know, all of it. Uh, yeah. So it seems like you're more present to be aware of what's going on. Absolutely. I mean, the more we, uh, that's a very common experience is that people go, wow, I'm just noticing all the, this is particularly with microdosing. Mm-hmm. I'm noticing all these little things. I just saw this these two birds having this interaction and it just struck me and it hit me right in the heart or, you know, that sort of thing of like noticing these little things that you normally just are moving too fast to even notice. Right. And so, yes, the more we turn down the volume on that, on that default mode network, which is the running into the future or the past. Mm -hmm. And the more we turn on the attention networks, the more present we can be. Sure. And that really is what then helps people get into this more consistent flow state. And that can both happen from microdosing and macrodosing. Yep. Um, but that's a consistent experience with psychedelics is that it helps people have more access to flow state, which is this wonderfully amazing thing our brain can do. Yeah. And it it has huge benefits, like beyond the enjoyable factor in the moment, it it has a long-term carrying benefit too. Right. Um, Um, Now, I am curious. uh, (laughs) One, I'm going to have you share information if people are interested in knowing about your coaching. And Mm -hmm. uh, 
not curious. I was going to say, I read an article recently about how uh, microdosing has become the new wine for moms, uh, which we'll oh, save that. We'll save that for another time. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, if people are interested in learning more about what you do and how you do it, how can they mm-hmm. connect with you? So they can go to my website, solsticecoaching.com, S-O-U-L. So solstice coaching. Okay. Um, or find me on Facebook, Marjorie Schreers, M-A-R-J-O-R-I-E-S-C-H-R-E-U-R-S. Um, or Solstice Coaching on Instagram or Marjorie Schreers on LinkedIn. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I will uh, all, post all info, of those. I'll post info <laughs> on my Instagram and so people can find it there too. So thank you so much. This was so much fun. Oh, thank you, Stacey. I just had such a great time. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, Eric. Stay connected, everybody. Yeah.